You are listening to the podcast of Open Life Church. We are located in Bonnie Lake, Washington, and meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Bonnie Lake High School. Thank you for taking the time to download our podcast or visit our message archive page at livinglifeopen.com. If you are visiting us on our message archive, I just want to make you aware of two things. First, there's a link just above the audio display where you can download our fill-in-the-blank handout. And second, after you're done listening, we would love for you to follow the link on the upper right side of the page that says Let's Connect. Here you can tell us a little bit about yourself or tell us something that we can pray with you about. Feel free to give us as much or as little information as you'd like. Wherever and however you are listening to us today, we are excited you are here and we hope you enjoy it. Now here's today's speaker. We live in a world that is all about um, sacrificing really great things on the altar of good. Like we compromise to good versus really striving for great. And sometimes we don't even recognize what we're doing to get there. Uh, Life may be good without the adventurous pursuit of Jesus, but it can be greater on the adventure with Him. And just constantly being guided and inspired and doing things that are beyond ourselves because God has led us to do those. Um, I don't know. I just, I think there's so much more out there. I think there's an incredible adventure when guided by the Holy Spirit, which is a gift from Jesus, right? And uh, in our pursuit of Jesus. So uh, I don't know. I get really, I, I think we're, we're sold like false advertising every once in a while. One of the ads I really like, can I just be real with you? He has a Bud Light commercial. Um, the, it's the, you know, the guy's got a Bud Light bottle in front of him, and he's like, you know, this guy's drinking a Bud Light, so he's ready for whatever could happen, you know? And then all of a sudden, somebody storms onto the scene, and their first commercial like that was during the Super Bowl, but now they're like, Jimmy's coming in and playing a little electric football. Anybody seen that commercial? And it's like, whatever. And that, those kind of ads stick in our head, but yet... Jesus, in the passage we're about to read, is telling us this same thing. It's that same advertisement, but it's Jesus. If you have Jesus, you better be ready for anything that could happen. You know, and the commercial just isn't as cool necessarily, but let's read it. Luke 9, 57 says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens. Jesus didn't give us the, the answer there, though, right? He just says foxes have dens. We still don't know. What does the fox say? Okay, anyway, moving on. I just thought of that. I could go into the song, but I didn't work up a good dance routine to it. So foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You're thinking about that song still, aren't you? Here we go. Verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's some tough teaching in this. This is, 
Jesus, we've been walking through the book of Luke, and, and, and we're discovering, like, Jesus has gone from doing these miracles and really inspiring people from blessing them and delivering them from demonic and all these different things. Now he's getting like, okay, listen here. We're on our way to Jerusalem. I am going to be crucified there, so if you follow me, this is serious business. He's just letting them know the real story, like, okay, all the adventure, the fluff of, the oh, miracle, 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 What? I have no place to lay my head. You know, there's some serious teaching here. And he gets three different kind of versions of excuses and stuff. It's interesting to me. When I was a kid, I used to go to church, and, and uh, I grew up in Longview for like four years. Don't have many memories from there, but I kind of have some. And, uh, but at the age of four, I moved to Rochester, Washington, southwest Olympia, a little area called Gate, if you've ever on hunting or something, you may know where that's at. But it's just, you know, it's just out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so we grew up there, and it was kind of a ways away. Uh, we never really found a church, per se. We were pretty much your, like, Christmas Easter family uh, that would show up at church. But yet there was a desire. Like, my great-grandfather Thaddeus was a pastor. So there was this desire, you know, in my and my family to go to church, but yet it seemed like every Saturday night somebody got a headache or an animal was sick or there was some reason that we had to stay home. And as a little kid, you know, I used to love going to church. I'd be like, hey, are we going? You know, there's all kinds of, you get candy and stuff. You know, <laughs> make crafts and come home and show your mom and dad. I just remember, but I remember a lot of different churches in my childhood and some which were in Rochester and others, which were in Centralia and Chehalis, these cities that were farther away, took longer to get to. And, uh, and I just remembered, like, it just seemed like either Saturday night or Sunday morning, there was always a reason for us not to go. So we ended up just growing up not going to church. And when it became time where I had that freedom as a youth to choose to go to church or not go to church, I followed the example and always made an excuse of why not to go. And I remember when I was 21, hit rock bottom in my life and finally basically limped my way into church, (laughs) gave my life to Jesus and started like growing and figuring out this whole faith thing. And and I remember discovering... um, you know, I just got to this point where I'm like, okay, I need to just share, like, my life with my parents. And we went to lunch together, and I was, like, apologizing for all the lies and who I'd become and, and how I had hurt them and thanking them, though, on the other hand, for their prayers and encouraging them to come back to church with me. And there was this whole moment. And I remember, I remember just saying, can I just can I just share something with you, just brutally honest with you? It's my little confessional time. And, and they gave me permission, and I said, faith became something worthy of an excuse. Like, that was my interpretation of faith for a big season. I just thought church is something that I need to make an excuse to not go to. That's what I thought. I, need to, I would wake up, and I would think, okay, what's my reason today? And with tears in our eyes at the table, I remember my parents leaning over the table and saying, Thad, that's not at all what we meant. And I was like, well, what, what did you mean? Because, like, I've gone through a lot of pain in the last few years, 
And a lot of that's because I wasn't with following Jesus. And, uh, and so she, I remember them telling me how we were so poor we couldn't afford to put gas in the car and get to church. And um, so instead of making us worry as kids because of our poverty level, uh, they would instead make an excuse or share an excuse with us instead of really just saying, hey, guys, we can't afford to go to church. And unfortunately, though, we, didn't know, we interpreted it differently. And I looked at that, and I was like, man, excuses are crazy deceptive. And they are especially deceptive to the one sharing them. I mean, we think they are a good cover, but they're so destructive to the destiny of our lives and the potential we hold on earth, right? I, for one, am glad that Jesus confronts excuses head on in this passage. I'm one who walks in destiny and mission because God course-corrected my life in kind of a really brutal fashion and helped me beyond the excuses I grew up with to be led back into being on mission with Him. And so now I look at this and I go, man, I read these passages and I see excuses and I, all those memories, and I don't even know if I can even help you go where I was mentally as a kid, but all those memories, those excuses, when I study this, when I read this section of Scripture, they pile up and I just remember the excuses that I inherited as a child. It's easy it's crazy easy, especially when we were kind of in those seasons of transition too. Like we never really found a church we liked. And so it was easy to come up with excuses. Not only could we not afford it, we didn't know where to drive to. And, and that's a painful experience as a family. But yet, as a child who that happened to, I was, I was open to all kinds of attack. And I was just full on defeated. I mean, honestly, until I was 21, I didn't get my life straight. I went through a lot of pain. And as we unpack these six verses, I think it'll help us with the whole excuse factor. I, I, I think that we can see the ABCs of following Jesus. These are some brutal ABCs right here of following Jesus. And hopefully will help us get a fresh return to our God-given destiny, if you will, our God-given path for our life. And may we walk in that destiny and mission freely today. Like, that's a desire. That we could really go after Jesus no matter what happens. There's three different men here. Two volunteer. They're like, I'll follow you. And one is chosen. But the results are the same. Jesus is saying, to follow me, you've got to go all in. There's no bait and switch. He's not making it light and fluffy on the front side. He's just going, no, if you're following me, hey, here's the deal. You got to go all in. So it's a real straightforward, interesting passage. Now, Luke is writing for the purpose of all of us being able to follow Jesus. What do I mean? Matthew, there's, there's four books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is written 
to the Jews so that they can catch who Jesus was. And these gospels are sharing the good news of Jesus, but they're doing it through different lenses. Luke writes for those who are not in the chosen lineage of God, the Jewish people or the Israelites, he's writing for the Gentiles, you and me, those who didn't grow up in like a priest's home and all these different things in the Old Testament. And, and so here we are with this opportunity through the book of Luke to get Jesus' story in a way that directly gives us application. Now, why is this important? The book of Matthew has the same teaching in it, but describes the people a little more. Describes where they're from or what pers- who the person is, like in the faith already or whatever. But what that relates to is the Jew. Luke doesn't give any descriptors about these people so that the principles are transferable into your life and my life. I love how God was thinking so much of us today that He would allow different authors to write in such a way. So let's jump in. Point one of the ABCs of following Jesus. And I did have to go to a thesaurus to help me come up with the ABCs because I usually don't do that. I just felt like it would be fun today. Uh, Number one, if you're filling out the little handout, alienation and accusation. Alienation and accusation. You want to follow Jesus? Oh, that sounds fun. Well, it's going to lead to alienation and accusation. Man, I'm all in. You know, that's kind of, but that's what we're going to read here. It's interesting when we jump in. It starts off with, as they were walking. See, Jesus, absolutely demand, His absolute demands of discipleship are accompanied by His own unconditional sacrifice for discipleship. It, little phrases like that, as they were walking, are, are tossed into the text so that you and I know Jesus was fully human. Yes, He was fully God, but He was fully human. They were just walking. This is a moment where they're walking, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're on their way. He knows his chosen destiny is to go to the cross and to pay the price for your and my sins. So they're on their way when these moments happen. The association with the kingdom will not only mean power, but sharing in Jesus' suffering he's about to share. And we need to go all in. So here's what it says again, reminder. A man, so this is the first guy, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This first man, being one of the two volunteers, wanted to follow Jesus as a teacher. And Matthew points that out. He says, you know, I will follow you to be I will learn from you, Jesus. He just wanted to learn. And what this comes from is interesting when you look at the actual context. Rabbis at the time would have their disciples, the people they would train up to discover the way they followed Jesus, and they would impart that into their students. So this guy's volunteering to be a student of Jesus. And so Jesus very clearly says, wait, the luxuries you would have in following Jesus A rabbi, you're not going to have in following Jesus. Let me make this plain. This is not the same. And so, what seems really weird to us, you know, when all of a sudden the guy's like, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he's like, you know, he's like, no, foxes, 
what does that didn't okay anyway but you know he says foxes have places you're going to live at times if you're going to follow me you're going to sacrifice you're going to be alienated you're going to be accused you're going to live potentially lower than any given wild animal and potentially give your life he's insinuating a bunch of things in his his answer if one's to go wherever Jesus goes, one's got to be ready to be rejected. One's got to be ready to be alienated. Come on, I mean, look at the world we live in today. If, if and when, because I do share that I'm a Christian with people, and in the moment of saying that to somebody, I'm judged. It's just plain and simple. I'm judged. I'm a hater in the room. I'm potentially, depending on who the person is, you know, I'm the hater. Well, but I don't hate. But I've just associated myself as a Christian, which means I could be associated with haters, right? Because there's some not representing Jesus very well out there in the world. And so I'm easily alienated or accused just because I chose to follow Jesus. Now, over the course of time, people discover, oh, well, you're not a hater at all. Why did you say you were? I I'd never said I was. You, you know, put that on me. And it's kind of an interesting modern-day reality of this first point, to follow Jesus. Sometimes we are rejected. Jesus was just in a story preceding this where they wanted to stop in a Samaritan town, and they wouldn't let them. One of the disciples, or a couple of them, James and John, were like, shall we call down fire on them? You know, and Jesus is like, no, let's go to the next town. But they didn't have a place to lay their head in that town. Could be very well be right after Jesus said that, that he's having this conversation. He's like, hey, we just didn't have a place to lay our head. We've walked through the night. So are you ready for that? Or do you need your king-size fluffy? No time to sleep. Maybe he said that. Hashtag no time to sleep. You know, could have been. Why not us? Start throwing all of Russell Wilson's quotes at him. I think it happened. It's exactly how it went down. It's funny because... Uh, the same appeal happens at Open Life. Uh, you know, we're a small church still, and, but yet we have a big vision. So we knew from the get-go we were going to need a team because Open Life was not just going to be a church. It was going to be a movement. You know, we're going to reproduce and help send people out to plant churches. We're going to plant additional churches. All these realities in our future, we're like, well, we've got to have a team. So you've got to have music, and you've got to have youth, and you've got to have, you know, you see, just putting it all together. And, uh, and children's, all these workers and these volunteers, and so you start to think of the systems that need to be in place for a body to function. And because uh, the church is a body, so you've got to have arms and legs and feet and tendons and muscles, and that's what all of us are. When each one does its work, the body is healthy. And so here we are, uh, you know, building this church, and, and when we first make appeals to our friends to start Open Life five years ago, we have nothing to offer, you know. Uh, yeah, so you can come because of the mission of Jesus, and, but you will have no place to lay your head and can't 
provide for your moving expenses or a home or lodging, and there's really no good apartments in Bonnie Lake. Um, the rental market's kind of expensive. The houses are really bad. You know, we're talking 2010. This is not the time that you want to be moving. And, uh, you know, so it's just interesting, but yet people followed the mission of Jesus because they were followers of Jesus, and they made choices that were really hard with no guarantees. Yet I knew of an, another church in our, that started their church with three-quarters of a million dollars. Seven years in, their attendance is like 300 people, or no, 200 people. Their annual incomes like 300,000, and the three-quarters of a million had run out, and the entire team leaves the church because they couldn't keep their six-figure incomes. And I was going, what were they following? Because it hurt a lot of people. Because I read that if I'm going to follow the mission of Jesus, I don't have any guarantees. Sure, my needs will be met, but probably not my excessive desires. (laughs) And uh, that made me really sad. It made me really sad. And I became grateful for our path, our journey that we've taken, because it hasn't been one of being able to offer, like, huge things up front and guarantees of salaries and, and places to live and these different things. We just had, why not, and 20 seconds of insane courage. And people followed that. But yet Jesus does provide. Psalm 132.15 says, I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. Speaking of Jerusalem. But transferable to us. Followers of Jesus. The church. God will provide. Psalm 91.14 says it this way. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Just a few weeks ago, we read something crazy. Jesus was going to feed all the people on this hilltop listening to him. There were 5,000 men plus women and children. There had to have been fifteen to 20,000 people. And all they had were two, two loaves, five fish, five fish, two loaves, one of those. And, uh, and he blessed it and multiplied it. And everybody ate until they were satisfied. Satisfied. So while we're saying, sign me up, Jesus, I know alienation and accusation can come, but here's what's going to be promised is provision and satisfied. Man, I've not lived a moment where I haven't been satisfied, but we've sacrificed a lot to start this church. Provision and satisfaction are crazy worth the price of following Jesus. Second dude and second point, let's call this the ABCs, right? So you have your A, here's your B. Begin and bring, begin and bring. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own debt, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
The second person was asked by Jesus to follow. So he was not a volunteer. He was chosen. This is not the first time we've seen something like this in Scripture. And again, Scripture, you have to read, you know, everything builds up to Jesus, and then, you know, you got to look at everything through the lens of Jesus. So here now we see this teaching. It gives us the correct lens to view a story in the Old Testament. It's the story of the calling or the choosing, I guess you would say, of Elijah or Elisha. Man, I get those mixed up. It's Elisha. Verse 19 of 1 Kings 19 Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I'll go with that. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, so 12 pairs of oxen he's plowing. That's a lot of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him cloak representing the anointing of God, his call from God, this role as prophet. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha went back and went all in. In fact, he sacrificed what was behind him so he wasn't tempted to go back to it. We'll get to that point three in a second. But this time Jesus says no. Because here's the reality. The dead guy's not dead. In this culture, there's no way this guy was out on a road if his father was really dead. This is what he was saying to Jesus. He was saying, first, let me go back because my father is aging He's going to pass away. As soon as my father passes away, then I'll follow you. He wanted everything to be perfect before he really went all in with Jesus. You know, yeah, I'll become a Christian after college because I want to live a little. Right? It was that little moment. Or, yeah, I'll go to church as soon as I have kids because I want my kids to experience church the way I did. So I'll go back to church when I have kids. Uh, Right? He was kind of in that moment. The dead was not dead. In fact, so Jesus, if, if, he, if the dead was dead, then he shouldn't have been out on the road because they're unclean in this time because uh, they've been with the dead or he would have been mourning for like there's this 21-day period where he couldn't be out or other people would be unclean or he would be put to death. It was really brutal. So the dead was not really dead. So now reading it through that lens, you kind of see why Jesus was saying, no, let's not wait now. Let's do this now. Now's the time you begin to share the kingdom of God. Now's the time you you bring the good news of the kingdom of God to people. Don't wait. Stop this wait mindset. It's never going to be perfect. In fact, often as a pastor leading a church, we often take action when I'm about 51% confident it's what we're supposed to do. 
Are we supposed to uh, risk $12,000 to feed the entire community? Um, yeah. Where's that $12,000 coming from? I have no idea. But I think we're supposed to do this, right? That's called generosity. In fact, that's called extravagant generosity. And uh, because we just think it's the right thing to do. It's very intriguing if we're willing to do that. And when we look at our lives, what are we saying? What, what is this moment? Well, first, let me wait and take care of my Father. What are moments like this in our story? What are our excuses or the excuses we're allowing people to use around us, you know? Well, you know, it's, um, you know, I have soccer on Sundays, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to follow Jesus. You know, you could follow Jesus other than Sunday morning. Does it, have we realized this, right? It's like, so that's the only time open life meets is at 10 o'clock right now, but you can follow Jesus without the 10 o'clock window. We've got to get created. If that's an obstacle, how can we pastor you better outside of 10 o'clock? I don't know. What's another excuse? Uh, this one. I'll go on a mission trip. Sure, I'll go on a mission Yeah, I'll go on a mission trip. Boy, first thing, I get my kids graduated. I've got to retire. Have more, it's more convenient that way because I don't have to use my vacation. Then I'll follow you, Jesus. Don't we do things like that? Uh, I'll go back to church, you know. When I have kids, I already said that. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll... Yeah, I'll give an hour on Sundays, but ugh, i got to make sure I get to bed by 8 on Saturdays if I'm going to wake up in time. 10 o'clock so early. It's tough to get up for those 10 o'clock Seahawks games, isn't it? No? Oh, I got to say. So, ooh, okay, I get it. Okay, Pastor, don't be so mean. Um, you know, I can come to church, but serving? Oh, 8 o'clock's early. I love that one. That's so fun. Okay, I would invite my friends, but, you know, know, they're out late Saturday nights, and, you know, Sunday's the only day to sleep in. It's my only day I don't work. We come up with all kinds of crazy excuses. Now think of my story. Think about the excuses we're passing down. See, to you it's an excuse, and, and you can totally legitimize it, but what's that next generation observing about church? Well, church is something I just make an excuse for until it's so far down the road and hurt. I just... Maybe that's why I love youth ministry so much or, or kids ministry because of my past and the things I missed out on because of the baggage I now carry because of the excuses. Let the dead bury the dead. He said, he was saying, let the people in that town that are spiritually dead bury your dad when he dies because he'll be more proud of you for following Jesus and changing the world than he would be for you staying, waiting, and missing out on this moment. Live the adventure of the faith. Man, which man are you? Which man are you in this story? Who are you identifying with? These are tough challenges. This is not easy. These make us approach like our lives. I love the Bible for that because it really makes us look in the mirror very tough. Tough sell. Final point, commitment and consistency. Commitment and consistency. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Discipleship is not an emotional decision for just one moment. 
or something we just add to our life. Oh, yeah, Jesus is nice. I'll put him on the shelf right there, you know. This is going to look great in the house, right? It's like it's a, this is an all-in thing. This is a for-life thing. This is commitment and consistency for the long haul. Put your hand to the plow and do not look back. Why? Because then you'll do this. I grew up on a farm, and we plowed with draft horses, two of them to be exact. Dig that plow down in, and it does not go straight unless you're pinpointing something ahead of you, right? And you're forcing that thing to go straight and guiding those horses. Remember Elisha? He was plowing. He did not look back. He burnt the path so that he could pursue Jesus. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet having to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Luke 14.33 says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The most well-known Bible passage, if you've like read through the Bible in your, in your mind, some, it's okay if you haven't. Not everybody's read. Not many people have read through the whole Bible. But there's this one story in the beginning. Maybe you got to Genesis 19 or so, you know. Uh, there's a story of Lot. And it was referred to last week when we talked about, should I send down fire on them? Sodom and Gomorrah was kind of burnt up. Lot and his wife and kids escaped this city. And his wife looked back. And she turns into a pillar of salt. Weird, huh? But it was like something they were told not to do by these angels that were there. They said, do not look back. Go and do not look back. But she looked back. How often do we do that? We, we're like, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus. But, 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 but for, um, uh, every, I, have to, I have to follow you. And we wrestle with that. And Jesus says he wants us to be fit for service. He wants us to be ready to to give everything. Putting the hand to the plow. If we're going to start plowing, if we're going to start following Jesus, we need to stick with Jesus. We need to serve him. We need to commit to him. (coughs) Once you were alienated from God, it says in Colossians 1.21. Worship team, you can come up. And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul is saying exactly what Jesus was saying. Man, stick with your hands to the plow. Keep the faith. Continue in it. Because if you continue in it, that word fit means literally useful. If you continue in the faith, then you'll be useful to the kingdom for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus. People need to know the love of God, and they're going to only know that through your life demonstration and example. Because we're to be a gospel demonstration that demands an explanation. Something in our life, the choices we make, the paths we walk, the way we don't turn back, 
allows us to be that example that inspires others to follow Jesus. It makes us useful. Being useful versus just having faith is the way I want to live for Jesus. So practically, let me conclude. The worship team will start playing, and then we're going to celebrate communion here in a second. I'll tell you what that's about. But practically, what does this look like? What does this look like today to follow this these three guys and these ABCs of this brutal land, if we do follow Jesus, there are prices we'll pay. Not just following Jesus for his blessing and love, but identifying with his suffering, if you will, modern day. Following Jesus may look like you telling the person next to you that says they don't feel well that you're going to pray for them. Oh, but that, that doesn't sound like suffering or brutal at all. Well, no, but it's outside of your comfort zone, right? And it would mean that you're useful for the kingdom and you're being an encouragement to those around you and you're sharing Jesus' love like he would, right? In fact, maybe you just say, can I just pray that you'd get better? Like right now, Lord, oh, that's awkward. Dad, can you do that? At my, can I do that at my cubicle? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you will after you do it. Following Jesus may look like you making it to church even when you're tired. And I have four kids, so the one who deserves all the honor, because I'm here at eight on Sunday, is my wife getting those four kids through the door. And you can kind of see when they come in, they've got battle scars from getting out of the house and stuff, you know, and, and one's crying and the other one's hair is all like, ah! and it's like, ooh, I wonder who hit who this morning, and no, wait, you're the pastor, your kids are perfect, right? Oh yeah, I forgot, they're perfect. That's, that's right. That's the story. We'll stick to that one. They're perfect. Following Jesus may look like giving towards a mission of the church. Whatever you're inspired versus what makes sense. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, the offering's going to pass by me today, that envelope, I'm putting nothing in it, and then you feel the Lord go, no, no, give a hundred bucks to the give. And you're like, but when I planned at the beginning of the year my budget and I worked in how much I was going to give, I did it in accordance to my income, $100 above and beyond that commitment that I originally said. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we need to live inspired. Following Jesus may look like asking that person who's obviously in need of Jesus if they would just come to church with you. Following Jesus may look like cracking open the Bible and praying every day. Or reading the plan you set up on version that you haven't checked in on for a few weeks. We're, I'm, I'm, we're all guilty of that, right? Following Jesus may look like checking the missions trip box on the back of your connection card. We have a meeting next Sunday from 3 to 4.30 at our house for that Indonesia missions trip next summer. Informational, just to kind of get, get your heads wrapped around the potential of it. And some of you maybe have said things like, well, I'll go on a missions trip after I retire, or after my kids are, or when I'm it's just free. This is in the Bible. I'm just talking about what's in the Bible. Following Jesus looks like breaking through your instinctive excuses to keep you from experiencing the adventure of following Jesus. There's an adventure that's waiting for you. And you see, Jesus walks in the room, and when he sees that you've confessed Jesus, 
He's just assuming you're ready for whatever could happen, just like that Bud Light commercial. And he's going to ask you to follow him, and he's expecting no excuses at that moment. So I hope that after we walk out of here today, this could be one of those adventurous weeks where we sense Jesus nudge us in one direction or another, and we live that adventure without excuse. God, I thank you for your word and what you challenge us to do. I thank you that we get to honor you in worship and we get to come and, and rent this campus so that we can, we can come and be inspired by your word and now go out and apply it. We lay our excuses here before you. Like we literally just let them shed off of us. Not only for us, but for the generations that will follow us, for the people around us, so that you can impact people's lives and we can live on the adventure of following you. Today as we celebrate in communion, as we take that bread and dip it in the juice and then eat it as a reminder of the price you paid on the cross. You gave your body for us and you shed your blood for us. I pray that God as we honor you in communion as the worship team sings that it would be that moment of I'll follow you. It would be that direct inspired moment of I'll go wherever you go, Jesus. Even if I don't have a place to lay my head, call me, empower me, stretch me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's talk. If you have a question about what you've heard today or if you have a need we can pray with you about, feel free to click on the Let's Connect or Need Prayer button on the upper right side of the message archive page. Or if you're listening on iTunes, you can always email info at livinglifeopen.com. If you'd like to join in the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can give online at livinglifeopen.com by following the Giving tab and clicking Give Now. We're excited you took the time out of your busy week to listen to our talk. But have you ever thought about visiting us on a Sunday morning? We meet at 10 a.m. each Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School. We would love to see you on a Sunday, and then you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing online. Finally, stay up to date with everything Open Life by visiting livinglifeopen.com, following us on Twitter, or liking us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day and week.